Bond, James Bond, racism, sexism. How has Bond survived all these decades? You know that the James Bond film series has been latent with sexism, maybe even racism. But we see an evolutionary process happening, and we found a great new book which covers all of this. His World Never Dies, The Evolution of James Bond by Dave Holcomb. So join us today as we discuss all of this with the author. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzato. From SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans. Spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and Google Play. That helps us. Join us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and Instagram, too. And when you have some feedback, an idea for a podcast, or something you want to say, just click the big red button on our website that says, send us a voicemail, or send us a message through Facebook, and we may include it on the show. Join us as we're cracking the code of spy movies. And what better way than to start today looking at a book that's all about the James Bond spy movies. So, Dan, when we were down, we went down to uh, Bloomington, Indiana in, in the U.S. to uh, check out the Fleming manuscripts. They have them in that library, the Lily Library down there. They own 11 of the original Ian Fleming James Bond manuscripts. And even after reading the books, we knew the sexism was there in James Bond, but then there was a little bit of a racial overtone. But when you actually read the manuscripts and stuff that got scratched out before it actually made it in, yeah. there was definitely more racism in there than I yes. was expecting or racial overtones. I don't know the right word for it. it was, I don't know if it was overt, but definitely something there. Yeah, a lot of it was scratched out by Fleming. And so some of it survived in the book. He toned it down a little bit. So we thought that this is... It, w it was weird to see this typed out and then scratched out and then other stuff handwritten in by Fleming that kind of softened a little bit of the racism stuff, especially. And so we thought this is a great topic and this is why we're going to talk to Dave Holcomb right now in our newest segment, The Smartest Spy in the Room. Hey, today we have a special guest with us today, Dave Holcomb. He's the author of this great little book that Tom and I just finished reading, His World Never Dies, The Evolution of of James Bond and he's got all kinds of cool stuff in there talking about sexism, racism and the whole evolutionary process of Bond. Dave, hello. This is Dan and here's Tom. Hi Dave. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me on. Our pleasure to have you on. We loved your book. It's uh, it was a fun read and you got some cool interesting stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself and then how long you've been a James Bond fan. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. I'm mostly a sports journalist, but a huge James Bond fan in my free time. And I, I've been a fan since I was uh, probably about 11, I think is when I okay. saw my first first Bond movie. It was Die Another Day. That was the first first one I saw in theaters. I believe right. I had seen the, world's, the, the World Is Not Enough before that, and I talk about that in the intro. And been a huge fan ever since. I uh, was was an action hero fan or action movie fan before that with movies like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And I guess just the next progression, you know, in early teens was was James Bond. So if I've, I've loved the series ever since and usually try to watch a lot of the movies around Christmas time because that was kind of what Spike TV back in the day did. So ah, um, okay. that's how I've continued being a fan of rewatching the movies uh, over and over again. Cool. And so because you kind of grew up on the in the Pierce Brosnan era, is that your favorite Bond or who's your favorite Bond? 
I'd say he's a very close second, but Sean Connery is my favorite Bond. Uh, ah. The the cl- classics, a lot of classic scenes and classic movies with him. I'm a, I think you could call me a traditionalist. So Sean Sean Connery is definitely my favorite. Hey, that happens to be my personal favorite. Yeah, too. I'm, I'm the same on that. So yeah. So I, I guess one other question, you know, you you said that you like the action films and everything. So. Besides James Bond, what other spy movies do you like? Um, I really like True Lies, another okay. uh, movie, I guess, sort of from my childhood, a little bit before, uh, before, before maybe uh, I saw around when I was 10 years old. I really like the Jack Ryan series. I know okay. he's not exactly a spy, per se, but yeah. there are spy elements to that to that series. And one more, more recent movie I wanted to mention, Anna, that came out in April or May of this year. I thought that was a great spy movie. I think the way that they tell the plot adds to the spy element in the story. And it's uh, forward thinking in the okay. sense that the main character is is a female. And we haven't seen a whole lot of spy movies, at least right. I haven't, where uh, <laughs> you know the, the, the female a female is, a, is the main character. So I, I thought that was really cool, too. All right, let's get into the book, Dave. What what motivated you to to write the book? Around last December, even a little bit before that, last summer, my fiance and I, I were starting to watch Bond movies. She'd never really seen a James Bond movie before, which I guess isn't. I, I mean, it breaks my heart thinking about it. <laughs> she had not seen a Bond movie yeah. before, but she she's. Yeah. Didn't grow up a huge movie person like myself. I was heavily influenced influenced by my parents who really loved movies. And I decided kind of explaining to her and teaching her about the series that this could potentially make a really good good book. When I discovered that, hey, this is possible, then I, I just dove right in and, and started outlining and and uh, mind mapping and, and then writing pretty Pretty soon after I came up with the uh, the idea that it, it uh, that I could write it, so that's kind of where the idea for the book came from. Okay, is your uh, fiance coming around now, like and Bond? <laughs> She's come around to it a little bit. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, that, that's good. <laughs> so, so I, I, Dave, I have one question on the book as I was reading it. Is you made the conscious decision, and you mentioned in the book that you're going to stick to the movies when you wrote this, and I know you've you read a few of the, the Fleming books. Is there anything that as you read the books that might make you change some of the things you were thinking in 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 your book or is it i'm going to stay on the film and we'll worry about the books later um a little bit that that you know i just thought bringing in the books was bringing in another element that uh, another variable that maybe i just didn't want to tackle too much i and i also figured that that it was going to be a large part of my audience that had only seen the movies and not and not read the books. Sure. And I'm kind of part of that audience. I really didn't read my first two books. I, I read Casino Royale in college about you know five six years ago, but didn't really remember much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then reread it after I I published my book in June and and read the next one, Live and Let Die. So those are still the two only two I've read, and I'm, I'm planning to read them all eventually just got to make the time to do that um but i think if if i had included the books two things i i think would have changed in my analysis is there's i think even more things to write about with the racism yeah absolutely uh, right and especially live and let die that's yep. one of the two that i that i read so far the books and 
I, I bring up a, a little bit about the Live and Let Die book with Jacqueline Ristola and her quote. And I think her quote is dead on. I said that maybe she's reaching a little bit in terms of if you want to apply that quote to the movie Live and Let Die. I think Live and Let Die, the movie, has its issues, but I don't think it's blatantly racist. No, right. The book, I, th I think you could say the book in today's era is pretty much just racist in how he portrays African Americans and, and, and black people in that in that book and particularly I, the, what jumped out to me is the dialogue their dialogue is all broken English and and they just come across as not as intelligent as the other um, as the white characters in the story and that's obviously you know not something that would be condoned today yeah now that we're talking about some of the elements in your book I mean you talk about masculinity femininity race humor and all this other stuff over the course of of the Bond movie history. Can you just kind of elaborate on, on the main points so our listeners will just get a, a little, a quick little grasp, but then we'll go into some of the more details. Sure. Um, you know, the book kind of dives into you know, how James Bond, the, the movie series has changed over its 50, almost 60 year history, um, starting out, uh, portraying uh, masculinity as, as perfect and, and mostly white and or all white and white European and how that's changed over over the last 50 years how the portrayal of women and sexuality how, how um, has changed as well and and how how the, the series has become more diverse and how it's portrayed different types of people and races of people and sexual orientation of, of people uh, it's it really has undergone a, a, a vast uh, evolution over over 50 years and kind of parallels what we've gone through in, in society how we've changed our views of all those things so that that I guess in a nutshell that's that's kind of what the book is about yeah I, since we're talking about that I mean you're you're the part of the book that I, I really loved and was fascinated with was your uh, the, the your treatment of the historical gyre and the evolutionary circle of life that you said history not only does, does it repeat itself, it it comes full circle on itself. And then you go through the, the main four stages, the primitive, hierarchical, classical, and decadent. And then you say, hey, that, that kind of applies to the James Bond movie series as well. This is cool. I thought that was a great <laughs> insight. And uh, if you could talk about that a little bit and enlighten all of us how you you came up with that concept and, and how it applies to the evolution of Bond. Sure, yeah, I'm glad you really liked it. The history gyre uh, was something that I learned about in high school. Um, I believe I mentioned that in the book. And, yeah. um, I reached out to my high school teacher to make sure I, I cited it correctly, and it was kind of funny because she he said he got it from another high school teacher that was in – my high school that I didn't have and then she got it from a college professor so it, it, I guess it's kind of just been handed down to me through a few different teachers and I tried googling it it's not really a popular theory yet because I think if you google it I didn't find anything on it but right. um, it's it, it's called the history uh, gyre uh, evolutionary circle and and the concept is that human society goes through in a circle through these four stages called primitive hierarchical, classical, and decadent. And 
just kind of thinking about what different types of chapters I wanted to put in my my book, I always found this this evolutionary circle to be very interesting that, you know, the idea that we just keep repeating ourselves. And I kind of feel like James Bond does as well. James Bond goes in this circle where we have maybe a a bare bones spy movie where we that I think is where Dr. No kind of started, maybe out of necessity because they couldn't really do very many special effects or gadgets back in 1962, mm-hmm. but they slowly develop you know, more special effects, more stunts, but more also they take more liberties with, with realism with, uh, in, the, in the 1960s and, and slowly you move to decadent where – like a movie such as You Only Live Twice, where you have a, a spaceship eating another spaceship. Right. You have uh, <laughs> Bond uh, flying around in a, in a one-seater helicopter that doesn't look like it would fly. More, more things that just aren't as realistic. And depending on who you are, you might not like that because it, you, you like your movies to be more realistic or, or whatever. And other people are, you know, are, are willing to look, look over such as like an invisible car or something like that, which yeah. is yeah. a little bit <laughs> later on with Die Another Day. Uh, I think that was very decadent. So after a decadent movie in the series like uh, You Only Live Twice, I, I noticed as I started thinking about it, then it goes back to being kind of a bare bones spy movie. And, and I think it's because the writers got into the, their room and said, okay, how do we, how do we top this? Cause there is an element in bond that, okay, that we got to be bigger and better the next time, but there reaches a point where it's like, we can't, we can't be any more unrealistic or it's just going to be cartoon- cartoonish. So we're going to just, <laughs> yeah. Go back to the beginning. Can you say Moonraker? Yeah. Moonraker. The, the invisible car was <laughs> yeah, pretty close yeah. to that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they they go back to the beginning, back to primitive with uh, with their whether it's a plot line or just not as not as many uh, unrealistic gadgets or or, or, or whatever. Um, and I I found it very interesting that. We have this this circle in, in James Bond too, and it parallels again what society goes through, going going through a a, a circle and repeating our repeating our history. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, I love that uh, discussion in the book. I think everyone would enjoy that. Yeah, but it, it's actually very well done. Now, wh- I do have one point of clarification on this, though. So you talk about the circle and the decadence, and a lot of what you talk about in terms of the decadence to me kind of was like more gadgety type stuff this is you know like the 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 invisible car or the stuff in moonraker and in the craig series we haven't had a lot of that so where are we in the history gyre on on the path i mean if we're, we're coming up to craig's last movie here right no time to die yeah so is that time for a reset or have they not been decadent enough and where do where do you see that in the continuum (laughs) I think it were probably around the the classical, at least you know for the Daniel Craig era. When we look back on it in ten, fifteen years, we're going to say that uh, Skyfall and and um, and, and uh, Spectre were kind of his his maybe his peak. I think people might say that Casino Royale was his best one, and I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But I, I think his peak in his in his during his. Uh, 
tenure, kind of like Sean Connery's peak was Goldfinger and Thunderball, and that's kind of the, the classical, I would say. I, I think we're in the classical with the, the Craig era and maybe reaching towards decadent. I, I wouldn't expect they would reset it with Craig because this is supposed to be his last movie. They usually go for a reset when they get a new actor playing Bond. I think the one exception was the middle of the Roger Moore era with, with you mentioned Moonraker. Moonraker was very decadent in, yeah. in my opinion. And, and then they went back to very uh, bare bones spy movie with for your eyes only very underrated movie in the series. Yeah. Um, I love that one. Yeah. That's yeah good one. <laughs> it is a good one. So I, I don't think they're going to go for the reset until bond 26 and they have the new the the new actor playing bond assuming that craig doesn't come back again because he did come back for this one yeah even though (laughs) he said he wouldn't (laughs) right he really was adamant that he wouldn't and then he did so assuming that he doesn't come back i think they go for the reset and and perhaps go back to primitive with bond 26 so when you say primitive do you see it going back to the old misogynistic days or is that too far back Oh, I think that's too far back. Yeah, I, I don't okay. think they would ever try and do that just because it would turn off the the younger, newer audience that they're trying to bring into the series. I think they have done a pretty successful job of bringing in new new audience members. Um, I don't remember the exact figure off the top of my head, but I know I referenced a figure where a, a lot of women are going to see the right. the new movies when it when it came out that was either skyfall or specter so you know i I read i did a lot of research i read a lot of articles about uh, people claiming the series is is dying or whatever i i don't really see that just because they're still making them and people still love them and are going to see them but one one way that that could they they could bring the death to the series is, is bringing back at least accepting uh, characters accepting their his misogynist ways, and I, I don't see them doing that because it would it would uh, it would be too too negative with uh, with the new audience that they're trying to bring in. Yeah, that was my follow up question to that one too. Do you think Ian Productions is doing this and adapting all these things, trying to do the right thing, or are they just trying to get a bigger audience and make more money? Uh, probably the latter. <laughs> I, I I don't I can't can't say they're the, you know they're they're being very noble people. I mentioned I'm a sports journalist. I, I cover a ton of football. There's this big discussion right now in the NFL, uh, you know, about player safety. Do, do, and yeah, sure. When we really come down to it, when you, if you ask me, does the NFL really care about player safety? My answer is probably no. But in order to survive as a business, they have to. They have to find ways right. to protect their players and and encourage young people to play football because I've heard a lot of stories, at least in my hometown of Pittsburgh and my my small hometown, um, the, the the specific town I lived in, in in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, Upper St. Clair, where people aren't playing football as much because it's so dangerous and and you have the 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 head injuries. So the NFL has to adapt and. And care about player safety, or their their business model and their business will not be around in 20 years. And I think that's kind of what the, the same thing with Bond. They have to care about being upset, accepting of of different types of people and races and 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 uh, sexual orientation and such, so that they grow their audience and and continue to have an audience into 
deep into the 21st century. Yeah, that was a great analogy, Dave. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Thanks. Great. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things you talk about in the book about bonds specifically, and then we'll probably come back full circle on all this stuff at the end. So sure. at one point you say bond is always what he is perceived to be. And I thought that was an interesting little statement there because often M is disappointed in him and, and other people <laughs> as well. So it's like, what is he that he is perceived to be? So I want to get your insight as to what you were thinking there and, and how that flows. You know, I was, I didn't want to bring in politics and I still am hesitant to bring it in too much in, in our discussion. There are lots of people in power, whether it's, you know, a movie director or a, uh, athlete or a politician that they they are something on TV or in their public life and then they're they're kind of fake right they don't act the same way towards the the people that they love or or, or care about or people that care about them yeah different uh, personas I, they have right right yeah and I don't see that with with bond and then when and kind of thinking about why we like the series so much and why we like the character so much I think that was kind of one of his biggest redeeming qualities that he is very forthright he's he's straightforward I wouldn't say he's honest but he's he's a he's a straight shooter you know he's uh, not gonna coddle you but he's gonna tell you what he thinks and he's gonna tell tell you how it is he's you're always going to get an honest answer from him and I think that's one thing that the millennials can relate to and, and like about him. That's kind of where I was going going with that uh, that line. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks. Yeah. And I, again, at another point, you do actually quote Fleming, uh, not from the novels, but from interviews with Fleming, where he says, "I don't think that he Bond necessarily is a good guy or a bad guy. He's." He's got his vices and a very and very few perceptible virtues, except patriotism and courage. And he says, which are probably not virtues anyway. I didn't intend for him to <laughs> be that. a particularly likable person. This is Fleming saying this in interviews, and you quote him here. Uh, how does what Fleming say here shape what you talk about in the book, and which bond in the films is most true to this Fleming characterization? Um, I, I was kind of researching again why we like James Bond, why why we why the series has been able to last so long, longer than you know make any make more movies than than any other series uh, until um, the MCU I guess passes it like next next summer, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, and and I was just you know doing some researching, asking friends and family what they liked about the series, and I came across this quote, and I just found it very ironic that you know I'm I'm researching why we we like this character so much, and the person that created them basically says I didn't want him to be likable, and I just I found that so ironic, and and I had to include it, and again, and and that kind of uh, relates back to your your last question that you know. He, one of the reasons why we like him so much is because he's so forthright and and he never wavers in his in in his goal and his goal is to save the world and maybe he doesn't go about doing that in the most moral way all the time but he is going to get his mission accomplished and no one's going to stand in the way of that whether it's 
uh, a former friend like 006 and Goldeneye or mm-hmm. uh, a woman that he's made love to that then betrays him or, or whatever. He's not going to let anything stand in the way of the greater good, really, which is to save the world. And I think that's very noble of him and, and, and why uh, I, I would kind of, I guess, disagree with Fleming that he's at least the movie Bond has become a a likable person, at least in the fantasy sense that, you know, it's somebody that we that we find is cool and, and someone that uh, we not would like necessarily want to be in real life, but someone that we can take certain attributes from his personality that we would like to be at least. And uh, I think to answer the last part of your question, I think Daniel Craig is the most Ian Fleming bond. And um, one other thing about the books that I didn't really bring in, but could have, if I wanted to talk about the books is the, the bond in the bond character in the books, isn't, this perfect example of masculinity. He he is he shows more weaknesses. Um, he's vulnerable. He, he's vulnerable. Yes. Mm. And, and Daniel Craig's Bond is the vulnerable Bond, and and that's why I think he's definitely the most the closest to uh, what James Bond is in the books. So is he your second favorite Bond? That'd be third. <laughs> I guess he would be probably third. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, okay. uh, probably because of you know, as you mentioned me growing up in that era, that he would sure. be second. All right, cool. There's another part in the book that you talk about. Obviously, we talked a little bit here about racism, sexism. People can get a lot more of that of that out of the book and and all the discussions, detailed discussions of that. Um, but uh, in another part of the book, you talk about how this pertains to race and how in the series uh, some people are portrayed who are different are portrayed in certain ways. Like you talk about knickknack and the portrayal of Asians and black people always getting killed and that kind of thing. So a little bit different than what we were talking about now. Can you give us a little insight and, and expand on that topic and, and tell us what you were thinking there and how this is evolving? Uh, sure. Um, I I think the series you know played up to a lot of stereotypes early on with portrayal of Asians and, and and black people portraying Asians as as smart nuclear scientists things like that that kind of it's like of course the the smart person that that is supposed to be a scientist is is Asian. It's kind of like playing to that stereotype that we we all have of that group of group of people and they do that with with the black race as well and live and let die there they they a lot of them have afros and um you know just using tropes and and things that this this is how a white person sees this group kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and i guess that they're they they maybe they they figured in in the 60s and 70s their audience was all white that's what they wanted to see but that's not really what we want to see anymore and especially with you know you're trying to bring in more asians and 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 black people to come see james bond so you have to portray those people in 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 better lights uh and they've they've tried to do that with different characters um in the last 20 years inserting more diversity because even in the 60s there really weren't that many african-american or, or black characters so and then they had this this movie live and let die in the early 70s where there were lots of black characters but they weren't 
at all portrayed in, in a very positive light. So I, I explored how where we started and then how the series has tried to become more diverse. And I, I like that you brought up, you know, the knickknack thing as well, that mm-hmm. um, early in the series, I, I mentioned, you know, Bond is, is white male. They, they portray Western European as the ideal human, I guess you could say. Okay. And anything else that differed from that was abnormal, really. And included in all of the things that Bond is, in addition to him being white and male and straight and, and European, he, he's also good-looking. And they make a lot of the villains not good-looking to kind of con- contrast with Bond's yeah, a lot, a, masculinity. Well, yeah, a lot of times they have a deformity or whatever, too, all, in addition to not being good-looking, right? Right, yes. Teehee's arm so, is yeah. off and all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you yeah. think well, they're they're making they're evolving now a little bit. But I mean, we got Jer- Je- Jeffrey Wright now is is lighter mm-hmm. in the last three movies now with this one coming up. So you think they're trying to fix that kind of stuff now in this evolutionary process that we talked about earlier? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's there's a lot more diversity in the series. I think you're going to see the more, most diverse cast. Just looking at the cast list for the movie coming up, there's lots of different different races and and genders of of characters in this in this movie coming up and you know they've stopped having a little person like knickknack be uh kind of a a a sidekick villain or or uh Mm -hmm. having jaws be this really unusually big and and weird looking uh villain sidekick they they don't they they're they're not having you know their villains be these you know weird looking people um kind of cartoonish to be honest they've gotten away from that as well i definitely think that was the the way they had to go well i do have to say one thing i really liked in your book is the way you handled that whole topic right the whole topic of people being different and racism can be a pretty touchy thing to, yes. to go through and i actually really liked how you did that in the book yeah I like how you did it right now. Yeah, and I did it right now. It's... Well, thank you. Yeah, you're right. It is it is it is a very touchy subject, but I, I've always believed, at least since college, I think I learned this from from professor there. Uh, we don't move forward as a society unless we talk about it. So we have. I think we have to talk about these things in, in order to make society better. But it is very difficult to to bring up because you you don't want to offend anyone, and, and I'm glad that. I was able to bring it up in your eyes without without offending anyone because that was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I thought that was really well done. Now, I, I want to kind of shift gears here a little bit and go into the whole code name theory because you have a discussion on that in, in the book as well. Right? You talk about the the concept of do we is Bond a code name, and you you kind of go through your thoughts there. So I was wondering if you wanted to kind of expound what you got there. Sure, yeah, uh, the for those that maybe don't know, the codename theory is uh, a fan theory that basically says that every new actor that plays James Bond, that actually is a new, a new James Bond in the sense of it's a new um, man in the, in the uh, fictional, fictional world that where Bond lives. He, that is a new, a new person as well. Without a personal history. Right. 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 Yes. Uh, that just like 007 is a code name, James Bond, when you become 007, you take on James Bond as a code name as well. And that explains why, you know, we have different looking Bond, 
uh, every every few years, and and that every new looking Bond also comes with somewhat of a different personality because every every actor who's played Bond brings in a different a different personality. To be honest, a different take on the role sure. and is a little bit different at least. So there's a theory out there that this would also help explain how you know he never ages i think that's that's a big thing that people maybe are bothered that he's been around for 50 60 years and and you know he's never aged how is that how is that possible well this this would explain it if you believe in this theory that it it's not the same person that it's uh, a new a new man becoming 007 becoming james bond and there are things in the in lots of the movies that support the theory and then things that don't support the theory and even uh, debunk the theory a little bit. So uh, that, I dive into that in one of the chapters. Sure. And I, al- I always thought, what, what about this theory that all <laughs> the entire James Bond experience, all of his missions and everything, really take place in a very confined amount of time? It's maybe 10 to 15 years of his life. All of these missions take place and that's why he's about the same age all the time. And that's the intent that hey, this isn't we're not talking about, you know, 150 years of bond here. All these missions kind of happen in this one time period. I know there's some technological issues yeah, I was with say, that. Technology with, might make that with, tough. With that, but <laughs> yeah. I mean just, you know, you got to have a willing suspension of disbelief in any kind of fiction and so maybe maybe that's it. I I don't I, I always thought hey, maybe that was one of the things that Fleming was kind of saying, hey, this is all going to be compressed because he actually only wrote it over about 13 or 14 years, period. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not, uh, I, if you had to ask me, I tried to stay neutral in the book and not say whether I was a codename theory, yeah. uh, theory supporter or not, but I, I am not. I would say that, you know, every new movie is just set in contemporary times and you, and you just kind of have to, I, I'm willing to accept that you know, Bond never ages just because we we want technology and and things that going on in in this fictional world to be current and and with everyday life that we have right now contemporary. So they just place this character in contemporary times with each new new mission. And if we were to write out a timeline of all of these missions, it probably wouldn't make very much sense just because because of that technology that you, that you brought up. So, yeah. so uh, we, I, there was one, uh, and I, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, code name theory uh, person either, but there was one article that was written, uh, where they interviewed Jane, uh, Ian Fleming's niece. And in, in that article, she said that Fleming originally was going to call James Bond, James Secretan as his real name. And then James Bond as his name in in the world of espionage and stuff, and then okay, and uh-huh. then Fleming thought that's ah, too confusing in the books writing this that, and so they dropped it. This is what his niece said anyway. So I thought, okay, either that lends itself to the code name theory or it, or it blows it out. I I don't know, but anyway, it was an interesting article. You want to look that up sometime? Uh, I thought it was fun to find. Yeah, that that is an interesting idea. And and that's all about you know that's all what the code name is about code name theory is about and I, I'm I'm interested to see how they you know there's been a lot of rumors about the new the the new one and and yes and um, the 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 female spy stepping in and and supposedly being the new 007 and 
and and Craig's Bond is is in retirement. Well, if if Bond's if we're going to see James Bond in, in, in retirement, which I think we kind of did in Skyfall, but I guess this is more of a formal. We've uh, seen it a few times. Yeah, we've seen it a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have seen it a few times. Um, that this is going to be uh, more of an official retirement than well, yeah. his name shouldn't be James Bond anymore, right? If if you're a believer in the code name theory and he's retired. It's so just I'm, I'm just curious how, how that works and, and whether or not that's going to debunk the code name theory. We'll see. Well, actually, that's actually a good point because in, in your book, you, you, there's a point where you say, just like the code name theory, the series producers aren't conscious of this evolutionary circle. So this is trying. I'm I'm trying to tie in the code name theory with the historical gyre, right? So you, uh-huh. you say just like the code name theory, the series producers aren't conscious of this evolutionary circle. It's happened naturally over the decades. So can you kind of talk about you know. You say it's happening naturally. You don't think that the producers are particularly saying, okay, we went too far or we've got to follow this path. And how does that kind of all fit together? I, I don't necessarily think that the the producers sit down and say, okay, you know, I want to, I want to do this so that people believe in the code name theory or we got to go back to – we've completed the circle. We're going to go back to primitive now. A little with the evolutionary circle, it might be that. I just think they sit down and they try to think of something to top the last one, and they say, "Okay, I can't think of anything, so we're gonna go go back to the beginning." That that I think is the most conscious they are of the circle. And as far as the code name theory, it, I think it started as a fan theory, and we've seen it in a few mm-hmm. different series on television or in movies where you have this fan theory and then i don't know if it's because of the power of the internet or what but it gets back to the the series creators and and maybe they insert that into the story i think that the 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 bond series is is, as part of the codename theory they've they've inserted a couple things where you could point to and say yeah the codename theory is a thing and then they've put in other things where it's not, mm-hmm. and and maybe uh, I think they're doing that on purpose, perhaps, so that we can have a debate. Uh, I guess I'll bring up another sports reference. There's this big debate about the designated hitter, right, in baseball. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly, the baseball commissioner likes that one league is different from the other, so that when sport when baseball fans meet, they debate about the designated hitter. And talk about baseball. Uh, they it starts a discussion, and uh, that's what the codename theory is for James Bond. I don't think the series really is ever going to take a stand on it one way or another, because then when Bond fans get together, they can have a discussion about it, and then James Bond is is still relevant and and being discussed. Yeah, and the more people talk about it, the better it is for right. Ian Productions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, well, it's and for us stuff. as fans, yeah. yeah. And and there's always going to be these uh, opposing viewpoints of a, and that's that's what this discussion is all about, right? There, there's going to be opposing viewpoints, no matter what you say. There's going to be those who say this and that, and that's the fun of all of this is that you can make logical arguments for either one, and then you could poke holes in either one too. It's fun. Yeah, I I completely agree that that I think that's the point of it at this point that neither one is a hundred percent accurate, and it's and it's fun to debate. Yeah, we, so I want to I take that one step further because you had a, you had a line in in the book that I absolutely love, where you said, "If I wish, if I had my wish, Craig's 007 would indeed ride off into the sunset with Swan," and I just thought that was great. And so, 
<laughs> if he does that, then we're going to definitely have to have that code name theory working. Right. Yeah, that's that is true. And I did. I think I did say that if if I. I, I believe in the codename theory maybe as, as as far as to say that maybe Daniel Craig's bond is different than the previous the previous five. Yeah. I think you could I, th- I think that's probably where I stand on the on the uh, codename theory. Um, yeah. and that would explain, you know, you could have the first twenty the first twenty uh, missions take place over whatever a twenty year period or something. I think that makes somewhat sense with technology. Um, and and the the villains being you know starting out as as Russian in the Cold War and then kind of towards the end of the Cold War where it's more China and 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 North Korea as as the the central bad guys and then we have kind of a new beginning with with Daniel Craig and and they show how he becomes 007 so yeah. perhaps either that's a prequel with better technology than 1962 or it is a new a new James Bond. And um, I, I think with all the pain that Craig's bond has gone through, that's where I was going with with that line that I thought that was kind of where Spectre was going with that, that that's that was going to be the last time we see Craig as bond. And mm-hmm. I think they thought that that was that that is what was going to happen, that Craig wasn't coming back. Yeah, uh, and that was going to be the last shot of him and Swan driving away. And I loved that ending. And I hope we get that ending in in uh, in this next one. And then it picks up with um, the next actor playing playing 007. And I guess we could have a debate whether that is a new person and Craig's Bond actually retires and marries Swan or if this is, you know, the same person or whatever um, in, in, in Bond 26. You know, the good thing about fiction is they can do whatever they want right and and and, and us fans we're gonna say yeah okay it was a reboot with craig and now you have higher technology but that was supposed to be the first story and so on i, I think at one point leonard nimoy because uh, they asked him you you died in the star trek movie and and he says no one ever dies in science fiction so <laughs> it's, it's just kind of like the same kind of thing it's like hey you know he could say he's retired we could bring him back as a young guy and hey, we're gonna run with that we'll be fine right uh, yeah so yeah. Uh, anyway, i'm gonna go back to this this one line you, you had before where you you know bond is always what we perceive them to be and then a little bit later you say that uh the straightforward good versus evil blockbuster action film died about 15 years ago and with this with its death came the rise of the anti-hero so this reminds me of uh mathis in quantum of solace where 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 bond is visiting him in in italy there and and he says when one's young it seems very easy to distinguish between right and wrong but as one gets older it becomes more difficult the villains and the heroes get all mixed up so i'm thinking that could fits in right what you're saying there so could you explain what you mean now by is bond now the anti-hero and how does this work i think he is yes um i i i think that um, the series didn't want to change the Bond personality too much. They did change him quite a bit with with Craig. We we discussed a little bit his vulnerability, but he is still largely misogynistic. And rather than portraying that as the ideal man like they do in the 1960s, they kind of portray him as, you know, not 100% moral. And this is not really what how you want to treat women 
so that's that's where I think this anti-hero discussion came in. That he he is the hero of our story still, but he's not perfect, and um, it, that's okay. But don't try to be like him in this way, and 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 treat women differently or or better than than he does. I think that's where he he gets the label of anti-hero, and and that kind of ties back in that line from Ian Fleming that he wasn't supposed to be this likable guy, likable action hero yeah, yeah. like he was early on that actually he is supposed to be kind of an anti-hero in the books. So they've, they've come full circle, I guess, in the sense that I think he is a, uh, an anti-hero since, since Craig took over the role. Yeah, and I, I think that's exactly right. Like you said earlier, and you're saying now that Craig really is playing Bond more like Fleming wrote Bond, and so they've come full circle on that again, where he's vulnerable, he's this, he's that, and and all the kinds of things we're just discussing here. So that's pretty cool. So what do you think is going to happen now? We've got No Time to Die coming out. We've got rumors of Luciana Lynch uh, being introduced as 007. Uh, we have the concept. Uh, there's another rumor, perhaps, that the last line of the movie is Money Penny leaning over Bond, saying, "This is no time to die." There's all these rumors out there. Of course, we you know, we we, <laughs> yeah. we have nothing else to do. <laughs> it's, it's fun to speculate, at least. <laughs> Where do you think, in in terms of the history, historical gyre, and the evolutionary circle, what are we gonna what are we gonna see? Um. I, I, I'm, I guess your guess is as good as mine. I, I would, I, as I said, I'd like to see him go off into the sunset with Swan. And I also said, I'd like, you know, the next actor to, to be uh, a black James Bond. I think that would be really cool, really evolutionary forward thinking, uh, even further into, you know, the 21st century as we move further into the century, but I'm not sure we're going to see any of that, to be honest. I think it's possible also that Swan ends up dying in this in this movie, and that was kind of another rumor that she's they're going to repeat kind of the on the Majesty's Secret Service plot. Yeah, yeah that would be being she, consistent. Yeah, where 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 he doesn't end up with his love, and and then she she ends up getting killed, and and the fact they have two other female leads in addition to Naomi Harris, who is going to play Money Penny again. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that, oh, yeah, that rumor is definitely not going to be true because, you know, having three Bond girls is kind of a lot. It, when In the movies where we've had three Bond girls, one of them usually is a <laughs> femme fatale yeah. or one of them is a sacrificial lamb. And, and Swan could be that could be that sacrificial lamb. I kind of hope that's not the way they go, but I, I think it's possible. Yeah, there's lots of lots of different theories and lots of different rumors, and that's what makes this all fun. Absolutely, <laughs> we're waiting for April 2020. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I I will I'll address one other rumor. I was really surprised to to hear that so many people disappointed that Lashana Lynch was going to be introduced as the new 007, and I think people are, are kind of confused that they kind of thinking that lynch is going to be the new james bond because she has that code name right. and you know the people the thing that i would say is not 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 that bond has to be white and male but that's they're not making bond a a, a black woman or or a woman or, or anything like that the, you know bond is retiring yes. this is the rumor anyway bond is retiring 
and and Lynch is going to be taking on that code name 007. It's no different if they made her 008. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. And I think Barbara Broccoli at one point said James Bond will never be a woman. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. That's, I don't know how much that, that actually says, but there but, are double O's they're, they're, but yeah, double, and do, what was it? Double, double o, o two, I think, or double O three was a, was a woman. Is that in, is that Thunderball? It is Thunderball. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I completely agree that, um, whether or not James Bond is a, is a female in the future, I, I don't know. But they're, that's not the avenue they're going in uh, or going on uh, right now. And I was just so really kind of taken back by the, the backlash with that. And I heard from a couple of fans myself saying this is going to kill the series. And it's just like it's not any different than them having a – a female spy like tomorrow never dies or die another day she she wasn't a double o but she was a british agent and uh, i think it's emma swan uh, miss frost whatever her first name if the character is right. um I, I don't look at it any different than that 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 she is she's not becoming the new the new bond and, and i don't want to say that like i would be against her becoming the new bond I, I would prefer bond to be to be male myself but um yeah, a different race. I'm, I'm, I am open to that as long as it makes sense. As long as it's a race that of, of people that are, are in London and 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 a race that would be have an English background. Yeah, my my ideal would be that Bond comes out of retirement and they elevate a double O character, female character, to be his equal, and they in the future do missions together. I think that would be ideal. That would be beautiful. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. And and one thing I I didn't include in the book, I kind of thought about it after writing it. I think they could the, there's there's the Marvel movies and MCU are so popular. Could Bond take a page out of the MCU and and maybe create another series where the lead is female? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, I think maybe it wouldn't work as a movie series because we're always going to make the comparison of like which one do we like better. But uh, maybe a TV show. Maybe we could get you know a, a James Bond like TV show where it we have all the spy elements and everything, and, and but the lead is is 008, and and she's she's a it, it's a she it's a it's a female spy. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, that would be. That would be cool. It's it's really fun to speculate what's going to potentially happen. All right now, you you mentioned the the MCU stuff and competition, I guess if you will, to the way things go. Do you see any franchises actually threatening Bond going forward? Um, I wouldn't say so. No, I brought up the M- MCU a few times. I think that's probably the closest threat to Bond, just because I guess it's threatening everything right now, but. It's going to take over Bond's uh, title of you know most movies in a in a series, and that's kind of what Bond is known for in the sense of it's the longest running series, and it still will be the longest running for time. But uh, MCU is going to take over the most movies in a series. They're cranking them out faster. They are, they yeah, yeah much faster pace right <laughs> now. So um, I guess that's as a as a huge Bond fan, uh, that's a little disappointing that it's not going to be you know number one there anymore. But you know that's it, not going to threaten them making Bond. They'll they'll continue to make James Bond, and 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 people can go see that movie and and see the new Bond movie as well. That it's not competition in that sense. 
Hey, Dave, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we And I enjoyed the book. Yeah, and the book is terrific. <laughs> can you tell folks uh, how they can get your book? Yeah, give the title again, too. His World Never Dies, The Evolution of James Bond by Dave Holcomb. You can find it on Amazon. Just search His World Never Dies, um, or you can search my name on, on Amazon.com. That's the best place right now to buy it online. You can also reach out to me at holcombmdavid at gmail.com. I would be more than willing to send you a copy and, and send you a signed copy if you send me payment through PayPal or Venmo. That would be that would be great. Those are the two avenues right now. And I'm hoping by Christmas time to have an audio book out on on the the book. I'm I'm narrating it myself right now, trying to put it together. And I'm hoping to get a hardcover version of the book as well. And I think that'll be available on Amazon and and I'm ex exploring other distribution options as well. But right now, if you, you want to pick up a copy, check it out on Amazon or, or email me, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. I'll send you a signed copy. That's great. So we recommend you do that. Yeah, look, this is a really good read. Look for it. His World Never Dies, The Evolution of James Bond by Dave Holcomb. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate you spending some time with us today. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, right. Dave. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thank you, guys. That wraps up our interview with Dave Holcomb. That was a lot of fun. And it, Tom and I are starting. And, and it was a good book, too. I mean, it, yeah, you got to buy the book. Uh, go look for it on Amazon.com. Or, like we said, you, you go look on our website under articles. And we have a little piece on the book there and how to get in touch with Dave personally so you can get an autographed copy of the book. Very and, cool. Yeah. And there, his writing style, it's a pretty quick read, too. So. Yeah, it's a nice read. So it got Tom and I thinking about the women in Bond films. And, of course, I, I think now Barbara Broccoli and the whole Ian production group said they're going to be called Bond women now, not Bond girls and so on. So we don't know exactly what that's going to mean in, in the world, uh, in the new movies and so on. But it got Tom and I thinking that when we were in London, we met with a woman who was in The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, that was great. Naomi. Was she yeah. played Naomi, who collected Bond and brought him to Stromberg's place, Atlantis, and then flew the helicopter shooting at Bond as he was driving the Lotus, and he drives off the dock into the water, and it's this woman, Naomi, who's shooting at him from the helicopter and so on. And that was filmed in Sardinia, Italy, which yeah, that we've was, been to. We went to place. all of them. Yeah, yeah, that was really nice. Well... When we were in London, we met with Caroline Monroe. Oh, she was fabulous. Yeah, who played Naomi, and she was a pretty strong woman in The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, when she's sitting Tough. there up in the helicopter trying to shoot him down and stuff. Yeah. So we're meeting Caroline Monroe in Duke's Bar. Oh, what a great place to have a cocktail. <laughs> it was. It was It was one of Fleming's hangouts. Right. He liked that place. And, of course, the Vesper Martini, he invented in Casino Royale in 1953-ish. And there's confusion as to where he invented it. Was it in Jamaica? Was it here? And whatever. But we drank some of them there. They make a good one there. <laughs> and they know how to make it. And Alessandro, the, the bartender, the Italian bartender, liked us so much, he let us uh, go behind the bar and shake Vesper Martinis yeah. with him. And I also like, he, he actually <laughs> did, a, fun. he would do a twist where you could do either a lemon twist or an orange twist. Oh, and yeah. That, you know, we're used to the Vesper with the Which the is lemon. a twist on the Vesper. The twist on the Vesper. <laughs> but, you know, we like it with the the lemon, but it was really good with the orange as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we sampled a couple of different <laughs> kinds. 
until they stopped us. <laughs> yeah, the third one was really good, as I recall, as I don't, uh, yeah. whatever. It was really fun. And Caroline Monroe, we digress. Caroline Monroe was just a blast. She's a delightful lady. So you ever get a chance to meet Caroline Monroe, do so. And anyway, we saw her as a great, strong Bond woman, and we loved the spy who loved me, and we loved her in it. That was fun. That really was. This is Dan Silvestri and Tom Pizzato from SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans, spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. 